Hello and welcome, everyone, to episode four of the Andyplex. This is the fourth episode already. Been cranking them out here in quarantine. I uh, currently unemployed, so I'm sitting around a lot. I have a lot of time on my hands, but that's uh, it's great that I've been able to channel myself into this. Uh, calling this episode Spaceballs the Podcast, we will be covering the 1987 Mel Brooks classic Spaceballs. It's in its 33rd year right now, hard to believe, but uh, it is definitely lasted the test of time and i can't wait to uh, riff about that movie and i have an extremely special guest today we have uh one of my best friends and hilarious amazing talented maestro of the arts adam ferberg producer (laughs) (laughs) producer comedian and uh and one hell of a model american um (laughs) welcome welcome to the antiplex adam Thank you very much for having me on the show, Andy. This is exciting. Yeah, man, it is really exciting. I knew as soon as I started doing this show that it was just going to be a matter of time before we had uh, we had you on board. So I'm really, really pumped to have you. And uh, I just want to say you and I have a nice, very uh, hearty tradition of podcasting together. We've been doing this a while. Adam, actually, uh, I have you to thank Adam for, for introing me into the world of podcasting and getting me going on my journey. Uh, we did a show together called The Jew and the Gentile for, jeez, uh, how long was it? Four years we did the show for? Maybe five? Uh, we did it for a little while, yeah. yeah. From, like, I want to say 2013 or 2012, 2013, until about 2015 or 16. It was, uh, it was probably, yeah, it was probably a couple years, I'd say. Two or three years. Yeah, yeah. It was good. And you were doing it, it before, time, uh, you were doing it before I was for a little while. And then yeah, I'm, I was doing it all the way back in, like, 2010. So this was that, that I probably did it. I stopped doing it 2014. So it, it, I had done it about four years. I think you jumped in by a year or two into it. So about two or three years we were doing it together. Yeah, man. Well, I can speak for myself. It was it was an awesome time and uh, really cut my teeth being uh, being a co-host with you. It was a lot of fun. It was a Star Trek podcast. We're huge Star Trek buffs, as uh, everyone should definitely know by now if they know us at all. Um, but uh, uh, and I used to, need to cut your teeth. You got no enamel left. Your teeth are all cut. You cut them away. They're gone. I have. It's just. It's just gums. That's <laughs> after doing the show with you. I, I got such a good, good crash course in how to do it that uh, I'm just a gumless man now. My teeth are so sharp. Yum, 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 um, yum, yum, but yeah, so uh, uh, you you and I have worked together countless times, and uh, I, I hope to continue that on. So it's really, really, really cool to have you here on on today and discuss to discuss a special a special movie that is very, very near and dear to to both of us. It was uh, obviously up to you to to finalize the pick, but I had no trouble saying yes to Spaceballs. And I got to say, the last couple of weeks um, have been a lot heavier fare. We've had Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And then last week uh, was 28 Days Later, which I went alone by myself. And this is uh, this is the first time I'm actually uh, piping in a guest because uh, last week I wasn't really up to the tech savviness yet of piping somebody in remotely. And so I went alone and kind of embraced it, called it the quarantine episode, but I'm happy to not be alone this time and i'm really happy to be doing this right now with you and uh, we're running zoom which is kind of allowing us to talk together i'm sure everyone out there has probably been stepping up their uh their apps like zoom and and skype and and facetiming and all kinds of uh, screen sharing apps as we all went inside in the backdrop of uh this this plague but i'm really happy to pivot and and do some space balls and do some fun and it's just a fun movie uh it's a it's a beautiful movie and it's a smart movie and it's not just I don't think it's just a spoof joke movie because here we are 33 years later still talking about it. And uh, 
it's a very special movie to both of us. And it's lasted the test of time, and I think it will will last forever, and I really hope it does. But yeah, so anyway, really good to just uh, have a little lighter lighter moment here while we can laugh a little and uh, and just enjoy Mel Brooks's 1987 classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yes. I, Ditto. I, I say yes, you're right. Yeah. I say yes. Just tell me when I say yes. Um, so Adam, you're up. You're a producer for TV. You currently work on Let's Make a Deal. You guys are in yeah uh, the game show on, on in the morning. It's it's really yeah. fun. Yeah, what season are you guys on now? Uh, we're on season twelve. Season and twelve. I joined the team in season nine. So I I had been doing it now for a couple of for about this is my fourth season now. It's pretty surprising how quickly that's gone. I started in season nine as an associate producer. Um, just you know, kind of like it was like a good intro to the do the show. My primary responsibility was like actually tracking the gameplay live while the show was being recorded and just taking notes for the executive producers that I had to kind of answer questions on the fly, which was a little stressful, but just a great crash course in how the game show worked. And then the next season, I got promoted to a producer. So now it's my job to kind of put together, I guess it's the closest thing you could say to writing a game show, like in one respect you have the games producers who put together all the games that they're going to play and they ask for kinds of prizes and set price points. And then my job is to fill in those holes with the actual prizes. So my job is to actually kind of make each prize look different and cool. And uh, a couple of ways we can do that. We can either use um, prizes that are gained through what's called trade out. So there are producers in my department whose job is to get as many prizes that they can on the show in exchange for promotion. And then also some stuff we just buy straight up. So my job is to kind of put stuff together based on the, a combination of those two things. That's so cool, man. You're a producer on a TV show. Look at you go. Uh, <laughs> that's, it's, it's so cool. I, I, I brag about it all the time, and I love hearing about your, your adventures in that world, and I just think that's so, so super cool. And uh, just Thanks, to back man. up for a second um, – our origin story kind of has kind of woven together over the years. We both went to University of Miami. We both that's our, uh, we graduated in 06 together. It's our alma mater. Uh, go Canes, Hurricanes, baby! And, yeah, and uh, we met right right out of the gate freshman year. Uh, we had film classes yeah, together. Yeah, first day, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, so I really don't remember in my kind of film journey world. I, I don't really remember a life without Adam Ferberg and I, and I don't care to, I don't care to remember those dark times before that. Uh, so yeah, we were fast friends right off the bat. We quickly found out we're big sci-fi nerds. We love star Trek. Uh, we had very, very similar interests in film and, and television. And, um, and I remember yeah. the first time that you came over to my, uh, my house, I think it was junior or senior year. I had discovered, this was at the time that they had just re-upped the original series into HD. Oh, right. And they had reshot it, and I found it, and I was recording episodes on my DVR at the time. And you came over, and you were, your mind was blown. I think we watched Mirror, Mirror. We did. That was the episode, yeah, that was the first episode that uh, I had recorded, because I had just discovered it, which means that I missed, that was a, that's a second season episode, so I had missed an entire first season up to that point. And we were just geeking out and catching up. And I think my roommates at the time were making fun of us as we were watching, but we just didn't care. Nerds, yeah. It was, it was yeah, nerds. No, it was, <laughs> it was a great time. And it was a real example that, like, I had found my equal in terms of this. Like, I, I didn't know anyone else who wanted to watch Star Trek with me. And then I met you, buddy. Oh, man. Yeah, likewise, dude. It was really, we found each other in that moment. And, and yeah, not just wanting to watch the show, but, but devour facts about the show and, 
and, right. and, and compare it to other episodes. And and I remember, was that, geez, what what network was that? Where they had like the stats on the side, I recall, when we were at your place? Oh, that was G4. G4. Right, right, right. G4 had like, which I wasn't such a, I didn't like that it scrunched the picture into right. a little corner and it had all that. But, you know, at the same time, I'm just happy that they were putting Star Trek on the show. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they had that. But I never liked that they did the little chime in and chat thing and then have it on like live on the show because like it relegated the actual show into a little corner of the, the screen. And I never appreciated that. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's fun to have the facts, but now, obviously, you know my obsession with making the image as big as possible. Uh, you would you would be here right now with me watching Spaceballs tonight at my place uh, on the on the wall, the 180 inches. But uh, <laughs> but the quarantine is keeping I, us apart physically, only physically, I, not spiritually. I got a recently a, a brand new television, 75 inches. I've never owned a TV this big before. But your TV blows it completely out of the freaking water. Like, it looks like absolutely nothing. I almost feel like, on one hand, I am sad that we can't hang out together and watch the movie together tonight. But on the other hand, I would hate, like, to go to your place, watch the movie, then come home and feel like, you know what, this TV is too small. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> 70, 75 inches is, is nothing, to, nothing to laugh at. And, uh, you know, there are drawbacks to projecting right into the wall. Like, during the day, sometimes I feel like I'm in a cave. I'm pulling the, the blackout curtains, and it's like – I, it's, it's kind of has a little bit of a gross feeling. Of course, now we can't really go out much any, any, anymore with this pandemic going on. But, uh, you know, right. for the most part, I, I like to structure my viewing more in the night, in the night kind of time, just for, A, for that reason, and B, just because I don't feel like such a vampire and pulling the blinds and whatnot but uh, yes master <laughs> but uh you've been here you've been here a lot and uh, you got to come for some of the picard nights we got to for star trek picard at least the first half of the season before um covid19 started uh dominating our 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 world uh so uh, i'm really grateful that you got to be here for that and you've been here a lot and you'll be back and uh oh i'll be back i'll be back you'll be back sir um there so anyway uh Regarding your origin story, do you do you remember a moment in time where you said, I want to go into showbiz? Or was it more of a gradual, you know, you talked to your guidance counselor in high school and started narrowing your interest <laughs> down, you know? Or um, I mean, I was always a movie nerd. I just, I, I grew up in the kind of house where there was a lot of, uh, like, recorded videotapes. My dad was obsessed with recording videotapes, like, on HBO and stuff, like, you know, I feel like he never got that memo when they said that you have to have written express content to copy this tape. And he's like, well, screw that. The FBI is never going to know. Yeah. So we just had like a collection of recorded videotapes. And so we watched a lot of movies, a lot of movies as a kid. I remember a real seminal moment for me was when my dad took me to see Terminator. It's funny you did Terminator 2 a couple weeks ago. Terminator 2 was the first rated R movie that I saw in the theater. So and cool. I was like seven or eight years old when it came out. And everyone was cool with it. My mom was cool with it. My dad took my brother and my sister and me. And my dad was obsessed with movies with big special effects. So, of course, James Cameron. Like, he always had to see a new James Cameron. He loved James Bond movies. He loved Star Trek movies, obviously. And Terminator 2 was a big deal. He was like, this is going to blow your freaking mind. And it was. And almost being armed with with his complete comfort with me going into that theater 
anything that anyone would have considered to be out of bounds or inappropriate for a seven or eight year old completely. I was not scared. I was totally ready because my dad was good at saying like, this is a movie. This is not real. Those are special effects. And his obsession with just like the coolest, newest effects reminded me that this is a piece of entertainment. That's all it is. And we're going to go watch and get our minds blown. And that's exactly what happened. That's so cool. And that's so cool. From then on, I, I was always into movies and I was obsessed with TV, obviously, big Star Trek guy. And when I realized that I could maybe try to make a career out of this, was probably when I was in high school and I started really getting into being like, I was trying to see movies that only certain theaters carried and like just I had to watch everything. And I wanted to get into to, to, uh, the, uh, the arts and stuff. So I, I went to film school. I'm, I ended up at the University of Miami. They, they hooked me up with the best uh, uh, scholarship that I could get. So that's where I ended up. I got to meet you. I got to meet a fellow uh, uh, Kane and L.A. person, Brian Stratt, with whom you are currently editing some, some cool projects on No Brow. Check it out, everybody, on No Brow on YouTube. Oh, thanks, um, man. Thank you for the plug. That's very sweet of you, Oh, sir. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I knew I wanted to do that. And then as soon as school was over, uh, moved. I tried living in New York for about a year, and I learned very quickly I'm not a New Yorker, not one bit. I lasted not even a year, probably about six or eight months, I want to say. And I remember the first day I moved to New York, I got very, very sick. Like I, I was having fever dreams. I could like I was having horrible nightmares. And it should have been a tell that this was not the place for me. But knowing me, when I get a fever dream, I'm like, oh, I should try to ride this out. I should try to ride out a living nightmare for six <laughs> months. And I did, and I, I got to work some cool jobs. I got to work at Troma, which was a really, really cool experience. Got to meet Lloyd Kaufman, uh, which was a fun experience. Uh, definitely one where you realize, you know, when people say you're heroes or don't, don't meet them. I'm so glad I met him, but that guy is not the easiest guy to work for, only because his standards are so high. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's hard to please a guy who crushes it every time he tries to do anything. Whether, you know, whether or not you like his movies or not, the point is that the guy gets stuff done and gets stuff done very well and people eat it up. So uh, that was definitely a cool experience. Very tough one, but uh, really uh, raised the hair on my head, if you will. Uh, cut my teeth if you want to reuse the metaphor because I'm blanking right now. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're, uh, you're blanking as most people's full of ideas, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry about it, man. Uh, moved here, and then when I moved here, I moved to write at the writer's strike. That was because I wanted to get into writing, and uh, the writer's strike happened. So there was no writing jobs. There were not even writing PA jobs, nothing like that. So I got into reality shows, and that wasn't really fulfilling, but I was able to work on reality shows for about three or four years. And around the same time, I met some friends who were doing stand-up comedy, so I started following them around, and I realized this could be a way for me to write something and then just get it out there. And so I started doing stand-up. And I've been doing stand-up uh, consistently in L.A. for about, jeez, um, uh, 12 years now, I want to say. I started in December of 2007. Um, it was actually it was December 21st, 2007. It was the last Saturday before Christmas of that year. So I got right in before I became a stereotypic uh, New Year's stand-up trier, 
which was great. That I made me feel very, very good that I got that in before I could say that. And Just get that out of the way right away. Right. Done. I'm not a newbie. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and I've stuck with it ever since. Yeah, I've done some really fun shows uh, up and up and down not only California, but I've been to Arizona. I've been to Texas. I've been to New York performing, Florida performing, up and down the, 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 the western United States and, and parts of the rest of the country. And I, I love it, man. I've been performing for a while. Was hosting some shows. You've been to a couple of shows. I think I've put you on a couple of shows that I've performed at. You have. Andy's you have. Done, Andy's done stand-up in the past, everybody. I think we should try to get him back to do it again. If we can guilt uh, or pressure Andy with this show, when you chime in in the comments, say, Andy, do stand-up. Do it again. Do it every time. Get this man back on stage. That's my goal. I love it. I, uh, I appreciate that. Yes, uh, you've gotten me up a couple of times, and we've had a couple of really good shows together at Flappers and – uh, I, I really, really have nothing but respect for stand-up comedians far and wide, and, and you're no exception. You're, I've seen you live oh, dozens of times now probably, and I, I love it. And you're just built for it, man. You're, uh, I remember in the very beginning when I wasn't even in L.A., you were kind of calling me a couple times when you had a bad night, and we'd, we'd talk it over, but it didn't take long for you just to become a tank, and you're just – and that's how you really have to be. And I, I have to get to that point too. It's – it's a, it's its own it, it beast. It takes years. It does. It takes years. Like it took me a long time to be okay with bombing, dude. Like yeah. I remember, mm -hmm. there's a friend of mine, Harmony. You know Harmony. Oh, Harmony McGulligan. Yeah, he's hilarious. Maybe the best comic that I know. Like, like that I just personally know. He's so good. He's so funny. You came to a show recently that I hosted for him, and he headlined. Oh yeah, the ground like an hour of material. Yeah, it was incredible. The guy's fantastic. It was incredible. And yeah. we used to go. We used to hit the road a lot. We would go to to Fresno, and I think we went to San Francisco one time too. Um, one time on in coming back from Fresno, the guy basically just had to walk me off a cliff, like just talk me down from like one of those things where again we went to Fresno and I bombed in front of twenty five people. Big freaking deal, you know what I mean? Right. But it's one of those things where it takes years and years to build that kind of strength. And it hurts. I'd like to think. It hurts. I'd like to think that I'm there now because I mean I'm I'm not bombing as much anymore as I maybe used to, but uh, also I just don't care. But it took twelve years not to care. Yeah. That's that's how you got to be, and that's how you got to look at it. Because uh, I think you probably bomb less because you're not thinking about bombing, and you're not projecting that worry about bombing. Or it's very right. you're very. It, you can, we can all get in our own heads as artists. And uh, you know, Grassmeyer and I were talking on the Terminator Two episode, and he eloquently said, like, as an actor, you just get in your head, and you got to remember that casting is about. There's a million factors at play. You just do you nail you, do it right. And I feel like that's the same with, with, with stand-up. Everyone has their own cadence. Everyone has their own style. But if you constantly are, are in your head about it and you're just getting, you know, you obviously get the feedback as you, the jokes land or not. Uh, but if you're in your head about it and not just with your set and not with your material and just comfortable, then the audience feels it. Then it's a feedback loop with the comic. And it's it can be a train wreck, as you know. As you know. And uh, so you just... The more you can get out of your own head in any medium, I think, the better. You just you just got to stick to to what you want to do, deliver the material you want to deliver, find your center, find your chi, and, uh, and it's all and, about that. And, chi. and attack you it. You got to find stand up is about a chi. That's for sure. It is. It really is. And podcasting too. You just got to be able to. Granted, you're you're operating more in a vacuum at first, and then you deliver it. So it's it doesn't have that immediate live reaction. I know there's some live podcasting going on, but uh, I, I, I still do it. You know, I, last week when I did 28 Days Later, 
I when I got all said and done, I was like, I guess I get it says on the time index here that I talked for an hour and a half by myself. But uh, gosh, did it was that any good? Was that was that worth it at all? And I still I even now I still have to like fight that back. And I I really I'm really glad to hear you talk about stand up comedy and and I think. I have nothing but respect for stand-up comedians, and it just, yeah, you have to just quiet that voice in the arts, and I think um, it's only going to get, it's only going to get in your own, in your own way, and so I'm really glad you, you vocalized that, that, that nugget, if you were. Yeah, besides, I mean, I just like, I like performing, and I like writing jokes, and trying, like I said, like, I got into it because I couldn't get into writing, because there literally were no jobs for almost a year, and so maybe I've fallen off of that track of trying to write for television or for movies just because I got other jobs and they led to other things and it, they never led me back into that particular realm. But stand-up allowed me to still work that muscle. Right. And it developed a new one because I'm not really that interested in performing like in any other way. I'm not really – I don't try to get acting jobs. I don't – you guys talk about casting. I, the last place I want to be is in a casting room. It's just not for me whether or not it's the right field or whatever. It's just, I just never felt like that's where I wanted to be. But I love when someone says my name and they call me to the stage, I love that feeling, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. Because I love, it's almost like as simple as facing a fear. I'm not afraid of getting on stage anymore, but at one point I was. And that feeling, that feeling in my belly that comes up still happens. And I love the idea of not caring about facing it down anymore. That's the best part for me. And then, of course, you know, with that, with that calm and comfort, I'm able to tell my jokes and get some laughs and have a good time with the audience. But, you know, it, it, there's a, a comic named Robert Schimmel who died a few years ago. And he had been doing it forever. He's probably performing 40 years around the time of his death. And someone had recently asked him, maybe a few months even before it happened, that, you know, does he still get that feeling? And he said, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The moment that I don't get that feeling anymore, I'm done. I'm not performing anymore because I don't care. And the moment I don't care is the moment the audience knows I don't care. Right. So there's just I, I love everything that goes into it. And then it's funny, I'm I'm we're trying to connect with our friends in, in interesting and new ways right now because we can't go to shows. One thing that I would do all the time is that there's like three or four open mics every week that I would go to in town. On a weekly basis, in between, I would get booked on things two or three times a week, but the rest of the nights, I would try to go to the same open mics to see my people and work on new jokes, because I know that I would get honest responses from my friends if I was working on something new, or if I just wanted to see if I tightened something old up, and that's missing. That's a significant part of my life that's missing. That works. That workshopping, like that live workshopping angle. Right. And yeah. just, again, part of the workshopping for me is also seeing my people, like giving yeah. them a hug, saying hello, having a beer. And that's missing right now. So we're trying to find new ways to connect when it comes to comedy. Podcasting is one. And uh, another one where people are trying to do live uh, online open mics right now where people like want to do or like a live comedy show. It's new. It's interesting. I, it's not the same because I miss the connecting with the audience. But again, we're try just trying to find ways to keep ourselves, uh, I guess, if you want to call it a muscle, to keep ourselves fresh, to keep ourselves worked out, you know? Totally. And it is a muscle and you really have to continue it. And yeah, we're all, we're all grappling with this, this reality that we're in now. Uh, and it, right. I know you and I we've been we've been talking on on FaceTime a lot and uh it's it's been really good to 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 reach out and 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 have people reach out to me. I'm getting calls from old friends from back in Delaware and 
it's it just means it means the world and i know i'm talking to my family more on facetime and and i'm seeing my nieces more and my brother and uh my brother and i have been trying to brainstorm how we can um how we can come up with some ideas of how we can, you know, share share our interests and our passions. He's a big video gamer, and yeah, uh, we did the uh, the online uh, Discord last night, which was super cool. Yeah, yeah, it was super cool. It was his idea, and uh, he he knows how into podcasting I am, and he's like, oh, let's do a thing where I um, he uses Twitch, which is a video game streaming uh, platform where you can watch people stream playing video games, and uh, he's a huge gamer. And a big Resident Evil fan, and he had the, the idea to call it Quarantino Ween, which is it was March thirty first last night. Today's the first of April, uh, so we kind of like created this little holiday and said Happy Quarantino Ween, everybody. Let's all. <laughs> and it was such a joy. You called in. It was great. We talked about horror movies. We talked about zombies. We talked, you know, Resident Evil. Developed the premise for a new video game, which I loved. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the questions that Gianni actually came up with was uh, if there's a franchise now, film or TV, that would make a good uh, survival horror game. Because Resident Evil really is credited with creating its own uh, subgenre of survival horror. It was such a good question. And uh, we, we got some really good responses on the Twitch feed. People could write in. And uh, somebody said Cabin in the Woods. And we were like, oh, what, what if... Uh, and then Rich kind of took that, and you kind of took that and said, well, what if it's like it's a double-sided thing where it's almost like a sin, a sim city where you're creating the horror scenarios like in the lab. Right. And or then Mario maker or Mario maker, right. Mario maker. Exactly. And then Rich was like, and you could play it too. Like you could be on either side yeah. of it. So that was yeah, a really you cool could, concept. You could build the level and then you could try to get people to play through it. Cause there are uh, video games right now where you can like, I think there's a Friday the 13th game. Yeah. There's like games where they take place within a horror film and one person is the killer, and the other people are trying to take down this killer. And of course, the killer is like a souped-up character that it really takes all four of the other people to try to take him down. Uh, I think that's a great idea. But then using the Cabin in the Woods premise where you can have all the different classic horror uh, uh, characters from all throughout history, all throughout horror history, and then put them in these realms that you build, and then have people play them. I think that sounds great. Yeah, and it was it was a, such a such a treat, and everyone really got a kick out of it. Um, Gianni said he had record amounts of, of people. My brother said he had re- a record amount of people that actually like entered the chat on Twitch while we were doing the cast. I was kind of more or less the host, but we had Rich King, we had you, uh, Brian Stratt was sitting right next to me because we're we're neighbors. He's my quarantine buddy, Quarantuddy. And uh, it, w- it was so cool. And then, honestly, today, people were, were reaching out and saying, oh, it just felt like the gang hanging out again. You know, and it only been a couple of weeks since we've been really locked down. But that's a long time when you're really, yeah. really shut in. And you and I are saying, you know, we get it. We're doing our part and we're taking this quarantine seriously and we really have to. Uh, and we really feel like the worst is yet to come and we still have quite a bit in front of us. And I think that's the feeling is that there's a kind of adrenaline when it first happened. It's like, oh, this is fun. We can snuggle up. We can catch up on all the books, all the TV shows, watch a lot of Netflix. But then the adrenaline kind of settles. And you're like, when am I going to see my friends again? When am I going to be able to go out again? When am I going to, you know? Right. So we're all yeah. kind of going nuts Rachel together. And I were both, Rachel and I were both super depressed a couple of days ago. Like yeah. We were like, it was, for, for me, it was Sunday night and then into Monday. And then Rachel was yesterday. We were both kind of breaking down because like we can't see people we can't see our people and i know that's not easy for us to understand especially considering that like 
all the people who have been trying to say it's not a big deal, this is going away, it's they're clearly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like those guys are clearly wrong. This is going to be a thing for at least a month, most likely more, and that's it. So we got to find new ways to connect, and we're figuring another way out right now. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the first time I've ever done a remote. There's been so many firsts lately. Like last week, I was the first time I did a, a, a solo show, and I'm really glad I did it. And I, I when I when I finished, I was like, challenge unlocked. You know, I, I feel like I. I was worried I wouldn't be able to talk for that long, and I was like, oh, it'll probably be like a 20-minute long episode. Of course, I rambled on for an hour and a half. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of firsts, uh, and you, that's really you have to embrace the technology. I mean, fortunately, we are in a time where we have the technology. We have the video interfaces. We, we have pe- Teachers can, can teach kids at home now via, via these platforms, Zoom and, and whatnot. And Discord's really cool if you guys have – I'm really new. Discord's great. Uh, and yeah, I think you, we we're just gonna have to lean on on the, on the tech right now to to kind of give us that social that scratch that social itch, work that social muscle. So when when this is all said and done, we're not just all raving lunatics, been completely isolated. I mean, if this were if this were uh, 10, 20, 25 years ago, and it were the same boat pre kind of the internet, the rise of the internet, I think it would be a much more lonely lonely thing. Um, so I'm really grateful that we have the internet to. You know, it's funny. We're all saying, "Oh, we've become disconnected. We've become so disconnected with our technology." On one hand, we're all on our phones now. And back when mm-hmm. there was back when there was restaurants and bars and movie theaters, you saw people on their phones, and it's like. Uh, but now it's it really is showcasing it as itself as what it, it you know, it's a hero now. It's it's like this is the only now, the reason I'm looking at you right now while doing the show is because of Zoom. I'm looking at you in a camera on my phone, and I'm looking in your right. eye. And it's sure I I would Do you rather like what you see. Oh, I love what I see, baby. Do you like what you see in my eye? <laughs> tell me, Andy. Tell me everything. <laughs> that's hilarious. I um because that's one thing we can do right now because we're both wearing headphones. We can get like super ASMR right now and get like super creepy. Hey, Andy, how you doing? Hey, uh, I'm really glad you can, hey, uh, can make it. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Like, chew chew your chew your lip while you talk. Like um. Oh man! I'm just speaking of ASMR, we got there's some there's some. Uh... What was the character they used to do to Dan? Uh, <laughs> when oh. you call him from the UC. Oh yeah, Juju Thompson. Oh, yeah, this is a... Juju Thompson. Juju. <laughs> Juju Thompson. I would do all... back back when you could actually prank all people because it was like back in the day and you know people still had landlines in their dorms like freshman year of of Miami it was it 2002? It was yeah. right on the cusp of everybody having a cell phone. I feel like a year or two later, everyone had a cell phone and. The dorm, right. the dorm rooms. I remember still having a phone card my freshman year where you would charge up. My parents would charge up the phone card, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, now that just seems like, wow, like 100 <laughs> years ago, you know. So it's funny to see that we were, we were there right on the – and, you know, you and I were, were, were a similar age. We were both born in 1984, um, yeah. uh, the year that, uh, that Kyle Reese went back to try to stop the Terminator from killing uh, Sarah Connor. The and best year. The best year. <laughs> The best year because the, of Sarah of John Connor. Yeah, uh, and also uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters came out that year as well. It was a great year. Yes, it's also George Orwell's famous no- novel, nineteen eighty four. So I like to mm-hmm. think that Amadeus. Uh, Amadeus. Oh, oh my goodness, great movie. <laughs> was that Best Picture? Was that Best Picture eighty four? That won Best Picture that year. Oh my goodness, yeah, what a what a great movie. Milos Forman. So yeah, you and I have uh, we've known each other darn darn near twenty years. 
20 years. We're old. We're man. old. We're old. We're old. But we're Benjamin Buttoning. I mean, I'm looking at you right now. And, and you, look, <laughs> you look incredible. You look unbelievable. Well, here's the thing, Andy. I went bald by the time I was 25. So I'm going to look the same age for about 20, 25 years. Yeah. Well, you know who else is bald? Babies. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, the greatest. And babies. And babies. <laughs> so you're, you're, you, look like a, you're look, you look like you have the baby face. You have the baby head. I really do. You have the baby head. The, the baby, I have the whole head. The baby People dome. say baby face. I got the whole baby face. <laughs> I got baby butt skin on my baby head. Yeah. Uh, and Patrick Stewart, who is the greatest human being to grace this right. earth. And, uh, I don't want the game to end. <laughs> I can see the card quote. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, so good. That's a whole different ballgame. All right. Well, uh, so Spaceballs, the movie, is the movie of the evening, and you and I have watched this movie together countless times. We've watched it. Yeah, we watched it a couple of years ago. You were a friend of yours, Morty Rosenblatt. Morty Rosenblatt, who somehow isn't Jewish. Not Jewish. He has the most Jewish name anyone has ever heard. Not only the fact that it's it's not Mort or Morton, it's Morty. Yeah, Morty. How are like you have to say it sounding like uh, uh, what's it Firestone Harvey Firestone. You have to say <laughs> Morty. How you have to you? say it like him. So, but <clears throat> Morty was visiting you, and I remember he was so tired that he went to sleep. But you at the time you you were living in a studio apartment, so he was asleep in the bed like right next to us. Yeah, and he was Tiny. so out. I don't know how we slept through because you and I were crying laughing from start to finish. As soon as the ship takes too, way too long to get through the opening frame, we were howling. I know. I thought your, your neighbor was going to tell us to stop to, – because to, you had an asshole neighbor who would always tell you to, to keep it down yeah. and try to get you in trouble. A lot and of I thought complaints. we were going to get in trouble. A lot of like, nice we even kept We kept the volume down on the TV, but we were just laughing so hard. So this movie holds a lot to us because Mel Brooks is like – he's maybe my favorite filmmaker ever. Uh, I don't know where he sits on your list, but Mel Brooks is my number one. And number two, this is Star Trek and Star Wars and sci-fi and horror and just so aliens reference in this movie. So it's just it's everything that we love. Period. In right. one package. Yeah, yeah. This movie uh, again. Yeah, it's like it was like was this the first time we saw this movie with that time? No, it was probably the hundredth time we both saw that movie. Right. Uh, but it felt like the first time because it's so damn funny. It's so funny and it's so it, and you know the, you're laughing so hard that you figure. Over the years, you're probably still missing things because you're right. laughing too hard. You say so you're missing jokes, uh, and you're, or you're missing details. And it's so densely layered. It's so visually stimulating. They do, they do, they do the the genre such justice. When Mel Brooks commits to spoofing something, I was saying earlier, it's not just it's not just a spoof. The, the, I don't really don't, I really don't think the movie would would last the test of time if it were just spoofing whatever was hot at the moment. It has something to it. He does such justice, and he comes to the material with such passion and such a genuine love for the material. There's, it's not bitey or hate or hateful at all. It's if anything, you can tell he clearly loves it. He clearly, clearly loves these movies. Yeah, he clearly loves it. And to be to be spoofed by Mel is probably the greatest honor you can have, in my opinion. I think yeah. the South Park guys are carrying that tradition now. Like if they're mm-hmm. if they're spoofing you, uh, everyone's watching this. And they're just the ability to, to capture the zeitgeist and, and nail it and just uh, do it do it such justice. And the movie, uh, it 
it is operating in the realm of comedy. Spaceballs, the movie, is operating in the realm of comedy, but it it's so fun to watch, and it has such cool characters with this, with its own adventure, with its own story. It's it's not it just doesn't... ripping off Star Wars. It, I mean, sure, those elements are there, those spoofs are there, but it's its own beast. It's an adventure. It's fun. It, it's satisfying, and it stands on its own hind legs. Right. And you mentioned the story because a lot of spoofs sometimes get so wrapped up in all the things that they want to spoof that they almost give up trying to tell a story. And that is not the case with Spaceballs. Spaceballs, as you said, has its own characters. They all have their motivations. They're all distinct and they all complement each other so well. And the actors are great and they're perfectly cast. Everyone is just on top of their stuff and they killed it. And I can't wait to watch it again. I know, and I watched it about a month ago with with Neil Gershon of No Brow and uh, and Ryan Grassmeyer, who was on Judgment Dazed, the the second episode. And I I know I'm going to watch it again tonight. We're going to watch it here soon, and uh, I'm probably going to cry laughing again and be like, "Wow, you think by now I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so, uh, I wouldn't be laughing so hard and everything just hitting me and just the mood and the feel of this movie. Again, it's 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 honoring. Those, those franchises that we love so much in science fiction, but right. I mean, and and sci-fi. Obviously, now we have conventions. Sci-fi is so big, Comic Con, and the whole sci-fi like that whole those whole worlds have fused together. It's such big business now, and it's funny. Mel says that when it came out, it was it was a decent hit when it came out, but because of video, and he's like the kids and the college kind of uh, you know subculture. People watch it over and over and over and over, and 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 now it's like people are the actors are like I can't believe you how many times people come on up to me off the street and they want me to sign for Princess Vespa or, or or Lone Star or whatever, and that's that's the thing they remember them for, and that's the thing that really sticks in their heart. When I I would love for them just one time to do Spaceballs the convention. That's and great. Just, that's hilarious. I love that idea. Have like a, you know just a little because you said it was thirty three years. A couple years is 35, you know, that's a nice little uh, uh, anniversary number. Why right. not? I mean, it's, it would be a shame that we couldn't have John Candy there. That would be a real big shame. Yeah, but, totally. But still, we could still celebrate him. Like, there's still something to talk about there, and I, I, would, I would love them to just have some kind of a reunion. I remember they did the animated show. A couple of years ago, a few, mm-hmm. well, it was probably a few years ago now because it was on the same network G4 that we were talking about earlier. And we had some really, you and I wrote, tried to write an episode for it, and we had some really good ideas. I always like the idea of a show about the space, because it's called Spaceballs, and the Spaceballs are the bad guys. And yeah. I, I like the idea of them being the main characters. The, clearly, the show had different ideas. I think they were literally trying to parody the prequel movies. Um, that's kind of the, the story that they had, the, the prequel Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I liked our idea, too. Maybe we could talk about it more after the break. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll jump in now. I, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because it was, it was 2006. We, we graduated in May of, of 2006 from Miami. We graduated together mm-hmm. in the same class, class of 06. Mm-hmm. And uh, you went to L.A. I think you went back to Texas for a, for a minute, but not, not very long. And then, and then you went uh, out uh, to New York and then, like you said earlier, and then you decided that wasn't for you. And then you pushed out to, you pushed out to L.A., and I went to New Mexico, and I remember being outside in our backyard in, uh, I think I was still in Santa Fe at the time. I hadn't even moved to Albuquerque yet. Mm-hmm. I was in Santa Fe for a year-ish. 
maybe a little bit less, and, and talking this over. And we actually started writing. And we came up with uh, a show that was based after, you know, this came after Spaceballs. So, right. um, and yeah, it definitely put the Spaceballs more center stage, but Barf and Lone Star and the gang were there. And uh, we had this idea that now instead of in Spaceballs, the movie, it's air that they want. Uh, they're running out of oxygen on their home world, on the Spaceballs uh, home world. Uh, so, but now they're running out of oil. So we, we had this idea that, kind of comparing it to very modern day things that oil was now what they were low on and Spaceball one comes up and they find this, they find this planet that is all oil. And it was this giant oil planet. And they're like, well, bingo jackpot. Here we go. And then they, they put their tubes down to suck up the oil. Uh, not realizing that this was actually a bunch of creatures that were tar creatures that were all in a link. A la, uh, Deep Space, Deep Space Nine, Nine. right? The yeah. Changeling Hormold. So mm-hmm. they were actually these uh, these tar monsters made of oil, made of crude oil or whatever. Um, and they sucked them onto the ship. And then, boom, they started getting attacked by these creatures who were just acting in self-defense, you know. And then the the main gang, I believe, were in the brig. And, and this was their kind of shot to to get out of the clutches of, of the space balls because they have an opportunity now that the ship's being overrun. And I really thought we were, uh, we were onto something. And we actually, we, we heard at that point that the animated series was announced. So we were like, Oh, let's write a pilot. And, you know, we had stars in our eyes thinking, Oh, we'll beat them to it. Uh, this is ours. This is, uh, this is going to make us big. Mel's going to yeah. love us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this will be our chance to get in with Mel and be on a first name basis and, uh, be high-fiving each other all day. And, uh, I still have those, those fantasies, um, but uh, you actually had the, oppor- the honor and opportunity of meeting Mel. Yeah, I used to work at the same lot where his office is located. So every once in a while, you'd see him in the parking lot. And he was very cordial, always said hello, was always willing to take a photograph with anyone who asked. And I never had the balls to tell him that I, had, I didn't have the space balls to tell him that I had written <laughs> space balls. But uh, I wish I wish I had just to tell him, you know, I had this idea about the Spaceballs being the main characters. Never had the gall to tell him. And I, I wish I that's one thing that I wish I had. But I didn't want to bother him. The guy was busy. That's the thing. Mel's he's still working like we were. If I saw him, I saw him at work and he was going to his office to work. And that's that's the career. No matter what we end up doing with the totality of, of my career, no matter what it is that I'm working on next, I hope that I still have work to do when I'm 90. Yeah, that's what that's the coolest thing to me. Of not about all the films, of all the accomplishments. The fact that the man is still busy when he's ninety is just incredible. That's so cool. I mean, wow. Yeah, that you still have an office space. You got somewhere to go. Um, man, what a what a cool thing. I got to see him talk. I got to see him talk live. Uh, and I just got in L.A. not long before, and uh, our friend Rich King, who went to Miami as well. Rich King is uh, a producer, and I'll he's. He, we had him on a, a couple Sons of Carpenter episodes, or at least one, and then I've done a couple podcasts with him. But he graduated from AFI, American Film Institute, from the conservatory here for producing. He did a two-year program, and it's, and it's no joke. It's, it's an intense two-year program. And the graduation, they honored Mel Brooks and David Lynch. And they were both there. And Carl Reiner was there because he's best buds with Mel Brooks. And Laura Dern was there because she's best buds with David Lynch. And... All I could remember was Mel talking about just don't listen to anybody else. Just follow your art. Follow your dream. 
there's a lot of people just want to want to step on you and 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 just don't let them you know just do you and i remember i was working currently bankrupting myself not earning any money working on a, a choose your adventure app that i'm really proud that we got done it's called your pizza adventure i got to play this pizza boy and you make choices on your phone it's a choose your and we oh man it was such a such an overwhelming uphill battle because you actually had to film all the different permutations and so we were just getting done wrapping up uh filming that and i remember i got to go to this commencement at, at, for afi and it was at grauman's historic chinese theater in in hollywood um at the epicenter of the walk of fame and hearing mel brooks say just do you and and just follow your heart uh and meeting it and the, the guy was uh, it was pretty much in tears i i welled up and then right after that they played a clip a, a clip series from uh from a lot of his movies and one of the one of the scenes that they played was the farting scene in, in uh, Blazing Saddles when everyone's <laughs> eating beans and they're all farting and and uh, man I I just was like here I am this is so cool and and to get back to your earlier question he definitely ranks high up there um, and you know when you talk about Mel's movies you put them in a satirical category you put them in a spoof category but it's not fair they're it's not, not just spoofs they're, they're not just no spoofs. they're they're beautifully shot and the characters all matter and they all grow and change. And the ones that don't usually are like the butts of jokes, but still the main characters all experience some kind of a growth and change. And it's wonderful. And he still, even in the spoof category, he still tells a hell of a story. He never cheapens it for the, for the joke, never ever cheapens the characters or the, uh, the main characters or the story for the joke. And yeah. that's rare in that particular sense because a lot of – we talked about it earlier. A lot of spoof films almost don't care about the story. It's secondary. Get to the joke. Get to the joke. Get to the joke. Right. And it's weird because Mel tells jokes all the time in his movies, but he never cheapens his main characters for them. Right. Yeah. Um, I was just uh, watching the – it's called Spaceballs, the documentary. It's about 30 minutes. It's on YouTube if you guys don't have access to the DVD or Blu-ray. But uh, it was a retrospective. Um, from like almost 20 years later, 15 or 20 years later. And uh, it was really well put together documentary. Of, uh, and, and they said that. And they're like, Mel doesn't cheapen for the joke. And he, he wants you to lean into the realism of it. Um, and that's really, that's the trap is to want to just play, play to the joke. But it's so much more powerful and so much more meaningful. And we wouldn't be sitting here right now having this conversation about a movie 33 years later if it didn't have some kind of heart and soul to it, it's right. not, it's not just a spoof of star Wars and of, and a bunch of other franchises, but it, 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 if, if you stripped all those elements away, I think it would still be a great movie with powerful characters. And you, you, you nailed on the head. I don't want to reiterate what you said. You said it so well. Is this your favorite Mel Brooks movie? So that's an excellent question. Um, no, it's not my favorite Mel Brooks movie. My favorite Mel Brooks movie is Young Frankenstein, which is my favorite movie, period. Uh, I, I love that movie so much because that's the one even more than Spaceballs or more than um, uh, Splazing Saddles. That one 
actually tells the Frankenstein story. It it all it, it it jokes that it's a sequel, even in one of the lines in the movie that um, uh, one of the elders of the village, where uh, Frederick Frankenstein or Frankenstein, these are serious charges you're making because people are saying that Frankenstein's back to build another monster. He's like, we've waited from five times before. Like they even joke that this is the sixth sequel in the the, the movie franchise, but they still tell the story and it's hilarious and it's thoughtful and the monster grows and Frankenstein every character experiences growth in that movie and I and the, it's it's black and white so it's beautifully shot it's just so the the music is perfect I just thought that of all of his films that one took it to a new level um but they're all excellent. I specifically chose Spaceballs because it, it checks off a lot of boxes for you and me. And plus, you and I have the experience of that night where we were just dying laughing. And I had to relive it again. I had to tell that story. So yeah. I wanted to do Spaceballs for this show. But my favorite Mel Brooks movie is Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. It's, it's a tough call. Um, so Spaceballs for me was my, my intro to Mel Brooks. Mine, mine too, definitely. Spaceballs was the first Mel Brooks movie that I saw as a kid. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Was was your father involved at all as well? Absolutely. This was definitely one of the uh, uh, movies that was on a tape a tape cassette when I was yeah. little. Like space, and I remember it was on. My dad used to double up movies a lot, so I remember Back to the Future and Young Frankenstein were on the same tape cassette. So we destroyed that one as a kid. We watched that one so much. Spaceballs had its own tape cassette, so that's how. Maybe my dad didn't have like a tape cassette that was that long for that one. But it just seemed to elevate it to a new level that, like, oh, this one didn't share any tape with anything yeah, else. This, this one own. must be special. Yeah. It's its own tape. It hasn't been it hasn't been worn out by any other movies on it yet. No, I love that. Yeah, so my my father, it's his favorite Mel Brooks, and he likes a lot of them too. Uh, and really just I think my my family, we got it for him on VHS for a, like a gift for his birthday one year. And uh, I remember going to the mall to get it, and uh, and then we since watched that VHS a million times. It was one of those like gifts where it's like we gave it to him, but right. it was probably more for us. <laughs> Anytime that you give somebody a movie for a birthday present, you really bought it for the whole family. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure we ended up watching it more times than than he did, but uh, he he always loved it, and he says it's just one of his favorite funniest movies. So it was very like it was very like protected, because there were some times where it was like, what's this crap you and your brother are watching? You know, like what is this? junk you know <laughs> but but that one like never never had a question never yeah never had to like defend it or or, or lobby to like put it in and watch it as a family right. it was just always like it was revered that was and the one i remember that i i saw this movie before i i think i saw this movie before a new hope because i think in my mind i was confusing the movies when i was a kid at, at what <laughs> and i want to say a babysitter that i had brought it over and I remember the Winnebago, and I remember, I think I, I got to see it before I got to see A New Hope, so yeah, so it, it, it's 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 so near and dear to me that it like literally confused me on which one was the real Star Wars, you know, when I was at very young. But uh, I was born in '84, as you were, so this was probably, you know, 1991 or something like that. By the time this this was happening, on we had the v, we had the VHS player, we had an old Zenith. Uh, which I think cost like seven hundred dollars at the time or something. <laughs> you know, um, had to take a second mortgage out of the house just to yeah. cover the, the payments. Yeah, it's worth it. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag worth it. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, uh, 
I uh, I think I've gotten everything I wanted to say pre-watching it. Do you want to watch Spaceballs the now, movie? No, let's, let's wa- start Spaceballs the movie. All right, brother. Let's do it. Okay, well, Adam Ferberg and I have just watched the 1987 sci-fi comedy classic parody farce, whatever you want to call it. I don't even want to call it a farce, really. It's it's honestly such a such a strong movie on its own hind legs. Spaceballs. Uh, wow, we were dying. Uh, Adam and I were watching it uh, via FaceTime, as you know. Now we're in the quarantine uh, scenarios here. We have to uh, do everything remotely, but. We we bonded and we timed it up pretty well. Yeah, we synced uh, it up. It took some it took some work. It took some like timing, but we figured it out. There might have been a delay, but you know what? We powered through like good professionals that we are. We knew we wanted to make the <laughs> show special, and that's what we did. As I was watching this, Andy, I have to say I think Spaceballs has now become my all time favorite movie. Oh wow, wow! It 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 it, uh, it dethroned Young Frankenstein. Yeah, it was always going to be a Mel Brooks movie, and Young Frankenstein holds a special spot for me, but. Spaceballs does too. And yeah. honestly, those are probably my one and two if I have to say which ones they are. But honestly, today, Spaceballs is my all-time favorite movie. So, um, I don't disagree with your choices at all. Um, this movie delivers time and time and time again. And I just watched it about a month ago. And I was kind of worried. I was like, all right, I don't want to kill it here. But it's, it's unkillable. You cannot it's, kill this movie. This movie lives forever. This movie lives forever. Um, we used to watch it over and over again. Like I said, we had the VHS uh, yep. growing up. We we got it for my dad, and then uh, ended up really getting it for us. But in um, Spaceballs itself, again, amazing. like with my dad's video collection, Spaceballs had its own video cassette. That was important because my dad overwrote things and like lined things up more and more. I remember Star Trek right. one, two, and three were on the same videotape for us at my house. So like, that's what Star right. Trek meant. That those movies were there. But Spaceballs had its own cassette. Nothing went on it. Nothing touched it. It was immaculate, as immaculate as a recording video can be. Wow. I had to dig back into my memory. Remember that? VHS? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that thing? Yeah, this, uh, this movie is incredible. I really want to give a shout-out to uh, my brother Gianni, my cousin Paul, and his wife Emily. Uh, Emily is actually an amazing watercolorist and artist, and she, she as a housewarming gift for... Uh, two apartments ago got me a Winnebago watercolored uh, Eagle 5. Yes, that's right. The Winnebago. Oh my goodness. What an amazing piece of work uh, to Emily. Excellent, excellent. Fantastic. That oh, it's holds amazing. a special place in Andy's apartment right now even though it's two apartments later. It still is there. It's as if it was meant for this apartment. I know. I have like a sci-fi section at Star Trek, and then we have the Winnebago, the Eagle Five, and then uh, have some knitted uniforms from all the Star Trek types from Next Generation. <laughs> oh, that's her as um, well. Yeah, actually, that was uh, a friend, uh, another friend. But ah. um, yeah, well, so multiple anyway. people. It's like your apartment is a uh, it's a gallery. It really is. It's just different works of art just hanging around the place. It really is. Most of the things on the walls that were were gifts. Uh, so I'm, I'm very blessed to have such awesome friends that support my nerddom and my geekdom. And uh, this, is, this is the Andyplex here. It's the haven. It's the haven <laughs> for us nerds. Um, it's just been me lately and Brian, but uh, we're, uh, we're still doing remote sessions. Today, today was really fun just to, sit, just to sit down and watch a movie with somebody else 
remotely right. with yeah, you. Yeah, it was. It was cool. We we managed to make it work, even though we cannot be there in person. We had a FaceTime going. We synced up the movies. You were watching on a downloaded version, whereas I was operating a DVD, an old DVD, which, by the way, is not formatted properly for either my TV or my PlayStation 4 because even though I have it set to widescreen, it's like scrunched in the middle of the picture. So I had to choose the zoom setting. I couldn't decide if the zoom or the all setting was the right one. And eventually the zoom, I think, was the right one, the most accurate one. So that alone, formatting itself is difficult in this futuristic time where 20-year-old media is messed up. Isn't that crazy? 20-year-old, like, this probably DVD came out like 2000, I want to say 2001, and mm-hmm. still not right. They still managed to screw things up. As a quote in the movie, even in the future, nothing works. They still, <laughs> but you know what? We were able to make it work, and that's the most important thing. Yes, we were able to make it work. It's EP and SP. I just remembered it's like, Standard play standard and extended play, play. Extended and play. And then there was a there was probably like a third setting. There was, and then there there was, was an um, eight-hour setting. I remember because we got those for specifically for my Deep Space Nine recordings. When I, like in the ah, yes. Deep Space Nine. You had to record Great Deep show. Space Nine on a long play because they were arcs. They, that show operated with arcs. So Yeah, very cutting edge that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, today we're hell? discussing Spaceballs. It worked on Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> This movie directed by Mel Brooks, uh, written by Mel Brooks, Tom Meehan, and Ronnie Graham. And Ronnie Graham actually played the priest who mar- finally gets to marry somebody at the end of the movie. The well, the short, short version. <laughs> the you, uh, yes. What the a, you, yes. Good to marry. Yeah. I mean, what a what an all-star cast and crew. We have mm-hmm. people um, in front of the camera and behind the camera that are just stunning. Uh, I just recently watched um, a, a making of this movie that was a retrospective, and apparently Mel Brooks found Bill Pullman. He was uh, in a play. Bill Pullman was in a play for uh, Barabbas, which I actually my father made me watch this movie years ago. It's like a Bible movie about a man who's just smitten by one disaster after another, and then he spends most of his life in a prison, in a labor prison. It's brutal. It's it's a brutal, wow, sad. I actually, I, 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 I appreciate its historic value as a film, but I, I told my dad after we watched it, I was like, I'll never watch that movie again. It was, it was, <laughs> it was too, it was too It was brutal. like how most people treat Requiem for a Dream. You know what I mean? Like yes. It was, it was one good time. I can't watch Marlon Wayans do heroin. I know. I, uh, I can't agree more. And uh, so I just found it funny that Bill Pullman, who's doing like this super, super intense, dramatic, so, right. brutal, harrowing drama uh, in a play. And Mel, and Mel found him and loved him and, and said, I think you'd be great as a Lone Star. Um, and he was like, yeah, I, 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 people never come up to me for, for a lot of things, but they come up to me for Mel Spaceballs. Brooks. Much less Mel I know. Brooks. Hey, you're great. Yes, Mel Brooks, I'll do anything you say. Well, that's, that's his uh, commitment to comedy. And again, not playing, not playing for the joke, but, but playing it straight and, and letting the joke just come. And, and that's really where the, the heart and the humanity and all those elements are really woven in. Because right. if you just kind of play play for the joke, I mean, granted, there are some literal winks at the camera, which are so fun. But a lot of it is really just the delivery, the timing. We were talking about the editing and the pacing. And honestly, if you strip away all the all the farcical elements, this movie stands on its own hind legs as a gripping, fun, 
adventure piece. It's perfectly you know? paced. It's perfectly it's paced. Perfectly and, paced. You, and all the characters are different and they complement each other, but then also stand on their own. It's a strong, it's a strong story to tell. And then of course there's a joke literally every 15 to 30 seconds. There's something to laugh at almost immediately as soon as it happens. And it's, it's so good. so jam packed. It's yeah. so jam packed. Yeah. Oh man. And the sets, um, yeah, the sets, uh, John Franco Jr. costumes. Uh, Donfeld, his name was his name was just Donfeld. It was like a one name thing. Nice. Uh, we had John Morris on music. Um, yeah, we just it's just these guys. Like if you look up these people, Conrad Buff editing, uh, production design, Terrence Marsh. If you look up these people, they've done like the biggest things in Hollywood. And Mel right. said it himself. He's like, if you want it to be a spoof of those things, and you want it to stand stand on its own hind legs and look and feel and be amazing. He's like, I surround myself with the best of the best in Hollywood. Yeah. And it yeah, really he, shows it's, he used ILM to do the, uh, the, the special effects. Right. Like he did not cheapen anything. However, we were pointing this out earlier that when it came to sound effects to save himself some money, he just got Michael Winslow, who was the, uh, the radar operator to do a lot of the sound effects himself. The bleeps, the creeps love. and the sweeps. Yeah. The bleeps, the creeps. and the <laughs> I've I've been practicing that my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, you're you watch the movie and you're like, okay, now it's this part. Oh, oh, now it's this part. Now, no, now it's this part. There are just so many densely packed vignettes of yeah. comedic gold, right. just one after the next. And by the end, by the end of the film, you're just like winded because yeah. you've been laughing because and you've crying. Been laughing. And it hurts. It hurts the laugh. Yeah, my gut. I think I, I that was my workout for the day. I'm not gonna have to do my cardio because <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna you know, skip it, my my Peloton. I'm gonna skip my my class tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna skip my my one one man class that I have <laughs> by myself in my living room <laughs> um, during this quarantine. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just such a piece of gold. It, it's definitely one of my favorite comedies. It's it's probably a three way tie between this Blazing Saddles and Naked Gun one. I just, um, I, I'm just, yeah, it's whatever I'm watching at the moment is, you know, my favorite. But again, the sci-fi elements. Or uh, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, you're right. That's, that's a close <laughs> Dude, fourth. Dude, that is such an excellently paced movie. There are so it's many jokes, film. yeah. I love that movie. I have that's a great. soft spot for that one. Yeah. But, uh, so Adam, um... What what jumped out at you this time? Did anything new jump out, or did you make any realizations or so, revelations? It seems like there are just little reactions that everybody has to this movie. Like I remember watching back. I think the the last time you and I watched it was the time that we realized just how good Yogurt's reaction was to Barf getting his foot stomped, and when he's like, <laughs> like it's that was what I realized. I need to be paying attention to everyone else. When it's someone else's time to have something happen to them, because it's really right. about their reaction. So, like, even in the moment when someone, like, everyone's like Rick Moranis' facial expressions, Colonel Sanders' facial expressions, they react so well to ever like the 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 lips trembling at the beginning of the movie when her dark helmet's walking down. And oh my that goodness. that tells you. Look at everyone else's reaction to something happening because you're going to notice something else. Colonel Sanders reacting when uh, um, Dark Helmet got the, the door hit on him. It wasn't even so much that they grabbed his balls, but just the face. the Everyone's faces. Ah. 
I know. It's the little yeah. things how everyone reacts and how well Mel captures that to get you like how scared everyone is and how funny it is how scared they are. It's great. I know. And how many times like Dark Helmet turns to look after, you know, yes. you've all Lord Helmet. Like he just turns yeah, and does yeah, this yeah, look yeah, like, yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah just, when he you're stuck right. his tongue little out before like he that. got his face punched. I never noticed oh, that yeah. before. Uh-huh. So it's it's the little the little details that everybody on screen put it into it that I just kind of picked up more and more. Also, it helps to have a big screen for the first time. Me watching this, that the last time I watched this movie, I know it was eight year old apartment, but now you have a hundred and eighty inch screen. I'm not watching it on that, but I'm watching it on a bigger screen than I was then, and I still picked up new things just because of how like you said it's densely packed and the bigger perspective allows you to realize that. Yeah. No, I, we were talking about Stanley Kubrick, and is, is Mel Brooks the Stanley Kubrick of comedy? Yes. I would agree. Yes. Just the, the, the level of detail, the level of attention. And apparently he likes takes, too. He does a lot of takes. I don't think he does, you know, 60 to 100 like Kubrick did. But um, apparently, you know, they were all in the, in the making of feature. They're like, he does take after take. And you'll be like, oh, he'll, he'll, his, fam- his famous line as a director was like, oh, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. All right, let's do it again. You know, like. Just well, you know what? grab them, grab, grab it's takes. It's positive reinforcement, but you still go for the same result. You still want yeah. that thing. And so him saying, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great, is the same as someone saying, no, 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 Let's do it again. And it's, it's either way, you're either negatively or reinfor- uh, positively reinforcing the same action, which is, let's do it again. And that's right. he's trying to collect the same amount of data using a different perspective. That's all. That's all that yeah. it is. Well, yeah, and it's 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 extremely complicated work. It's the the camera movements, uh, capturing the timing of the revealing of the information, and right. just just because it's a comedy, if anything, comedy I think has has more on its shoulders a lot of the time because it has so, to deliver the information correctly. Especially with this movie. So much of the editing has to do with the jokes that people are telling. Like when they cut back and forth from the asshole and then like the widescreen to yo, like the back to back, the constant back and forth. He's cutting from one person to one person to a whole group of people back to one person. It's very precise. And especially with the joke telling of this movie, the film editing really has a lot to do with that. It's so precise. It's so it's so good. It's excellent. Yeah, and and Conrad. Uh, so Conrad Buff, Conrad Buff, the 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 editor, has been working with J- James Cameron. He does like action movies. You know, he what he's, is the edit? Oh, uh, uh, he's edited uh, Terminator Two, True Lies. My know. favorite action film of all time, Terminator Two. Yeah, the first movie, he cut the Terminator first Two. movie I ever saw in the theater. That's a big. That's a yeah. big deal to make. Four years after Spaceballs, he cut a movie called Terminator Two: Judgment Day. So it's like you're dealing with. These top minds and action, you know, the amount of cuts in an action piece. But this this is is operating as you can call it a farce or a parody, but it is emulating the genre that it's that it's replicating. You know, it so doesn't it's in that space it. It adventure it action. Right. Yeah. It doesn't cheapen the story that it's lifting at all. And Mel went to, to George Lucas specifically to let him know that he's going to be parroting his movies. Oh, yeah, he called him, and, and then uh, apparently the story is, uh, according to Mel, that George was like, oh, yeah, you're good. Uh, I, I love your stuff. Blazing Saddles is one of my favorite movies, you know. <laughs> like, I, I, I know who you are, and to be, to be spoofed by you is, is, is a complete honor. But he also um, said, don't make toys. Oh, yes, merchandising. Yeah, don't make toys. That was the thing. And I love that there was a scene where with Dark Helmet was playing with toys. 
Even so much so that Colonel Sanders said, no, I didn't see you playing with your dolls, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, Rick That's Moranis. So how Rick, Rick Moranis. Moranis wasn't nominated for an Academy Award for this movie, I don't understand. Because his performance is the best. Him being Dark Helmet is the reason that told me that when you and I were starting to write our like Spaceballs TV show, that it should be Dark Helmet as the main character. He's such a fun villain he's so um, good he's the difference got, he's of the, got voices the force between, and the command yeah <laughs> yeah the difference of the voices between the helmet down and the helmet up he's clearly trying to do his james earl jones as darth vader and then when it's up he's he's just rick moranis man it's f- so funny yeah he's the man um yeah i you know short career overall but but lasting career and uh he's you know, you'll just, you'll see him on the TV all the time, you know, between Ghostbusters and this and, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I used to watch that over and over again as well. Right. So Rick Moranis was a staple in my household. Um, and I just remember he's one of my early inspirations for wanting to be an actor and, and wanting to be in comedy. And, and, you know, I just was so blown away by, in one movie, he's the wholesome dad character in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then, and then he's Dark Helmet. You know, and I was just like, this guy is, is awesome, and I'm just such a fan of him. And uh, thank you. I mean, everyone in this movie is insane. Um, right. Everyone's, know, got, uh, everyone's good. We've got Mel Brooks also uh, acting, again, as President Scrooge and as Yogurt. Which so he's played two parts. A three, they become a, uh, a, a three stooges at the end. Colonel Sanders, President Scrooge, and Dark Helmet. Right, right. John Candy as Barf, R.I.P. Miss you, John. Rick uh, Moranis as Dark Helmet. We have Bill Pullman as Lone Star. Daphne Zuniga so as Princess Vespa. Yeah, amazing, so good. She's she's brilliant in this movie. She was only like 27 when they made this movie, uh, something like that. Um, uh, Dick Van Patten as King Roland, uh, amazing, and George Weiner as Colonel Sanders. Yeah, George mm-hmm. Weiner and um, and Rick Moranis together are such a comedic so funny. duo. So it's funny. like an Abbott and Costello, right? How you know, could they not like, have made more movies together? I don't know. I know. They, they Why aren't they the in two everything? Of them belong together. I would watch the two of them in anything together, like right or separately. But like, honestly, ah, this movie is so good. They could have made. They could have made more. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, 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 we'll touch on the sequel soon, but, um, uh, Michael Winslow as a radar technician. And then we have, uh, oh, so, good. so good. So good. Joan Such Rivers as dot matrix has the, one of the of best com- comics. She belongs on the all time Ru- Mount Rushmore comedians of all time. Amazing. So apparently she did like eight hours with Mel and she, uh, she, she wasn't not a fan of Mel before, but apparently she went in. Did the eight hours with Mel for The Voice, and she left thinking, man, this man is a, is a comedic, brilliant genius. He knows what he wants. He has the vision. He's a visionary. Uh, she, was, she was absolutely, like, blown away by, by him. He knows exactly. Um, he always knows exactly what he wants when he was going for it. Yeah, I know. She's right. He, he really, he really. And the, to be able to jump back and forth behind the camera and in front of the camera, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's crazy. Right. That's crazy skill. That's crazy skill. Um, and you know, and then in, playing multiple parts, playing two parts in this movie, it's it's just great. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Lorraine Yarnell, who um was the Dot Matrix, the suit wearer of Dot Matrix, and apparently she really was a trooper in the in the desert scenes because she's in this 
giant metal <laughs> like suit basically <laughs> uh and and yeah, she's like the, uh, the poor the, thing was in the desert the oh, actor goodness. behind uh c3po exactly and and that's that's what they're emulating so um wow yeah what a oh john hurt as john hurt from oh Alien. no not not again, again. <laughs> oh my goodness that is so funny man I it's love the joke excellent. that he's telling beforehand. They really do a good job of emulating yeah. that scene what in Alien. What about ass? Get this man some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice uh, Pepto-Bismol uh, ad right there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was a big fan of Pepto-Bismol. That covered up, the third taste. act of the movie in terms of cost, so good for them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how they did it. I was a big Pepto-Bismol head for a while. That was my go-to whenever I had any tummy woes. Oh, it still is for me. I still have a bottle oh, yeah? of it. Oh, yeah. Still rocking I've got some, I got lactate pills and Pepto-Bismol before Mm-mm-mm. and after. Brilliant. <laughs> You're covered. Yeah. <laughs> Base is covered. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, just the attention to detail and honoring all the sci-fi franchises. Um, and what uh, what – how many franchises did they, uh, or so how many, how many, ones, how many movies did they spoof? The ones listed on the Wikipedia page for Spaceballs are, uh, it, let's see, Star Trek, Alien, Wizard of Oz, Two Thousand One, Planet of the Apes, and Star Wars. So yeah. six movies right there. Totally. Yeah, and there's some nods to other non-sci-fi franchises as well. Right. I do want to say that. Um, when I saw this movie growing up, I mean the begin the beginning joke with the spaceball one ship going by was is is so incredibly funny. And then the way the music swells, and then you think it's about to be done, and then it's like it keeps going and going. But I would love to see this movie in the theater with with a group of people and see their reactions. Know how funny it is, and just watch like a room of five hundred people laugh their asses off. Because Ugh. that's what would happen, and what what a special thing that would be. I, I want to be there for that. Let me know when that yeah. happens. When uh, when movie theaters are a thing again, <laughs> um, right in twenty twenty two. Let's we're very spoiled here in yeah twenty twenty two. We're very spoiled here in L A. Where uh, pre uh, pre COVID nineteen pandemic, um, we had. I'm sure this movie plays a few times a year in different spots. Uh, so yeah, let's definitely keep an eye out. Um, yeah, so I thought that the opening was was a nod to the Star Destroyer at the beginning of New Hope um, right. coming across the screen. But it was only in the last few years that my obsession with 2001 A Space Odyssey that I realized that that was actually definitely a reference to the long, long, long ship in 2001. Which is reused again mission. in Aliens, the sequel to Alien. It's the same music and the same long shots of a ship pulling through, and also the original Alien. The original Alien does the same thing. They just stand on the ship for so long. Yeah. That that became like a trope in science fiction. If you really wanted to build tension, as they say, just let a ship run a long time through the screen. Yeah, and so to take that and, and turn it on its head and make it into one of the most hilarious visual gags right. in cinematic history. <laughs> and I almost feel like the tell was that when they reused the music from 2001 in Aliens, it's not even it's not even a joke. They just like reused it again. Yeah, it's so good. I really 2001 is one of those movies where you're like it's 50 plus years old now. You look at it and it still looks like it's from the future. Like we haven't even caught up to it yet. Um 
and it's you know you know it's just such an evolutionary landmark. Models, man. Um, models are the way to go. I, I models, hate yeah. I hate how often CG is used instead of models. Like, don't get me wrong. Allow the CG to re up the model, like up the quality that you're getting, but make a model and shoot it against a green screen, and then touch it up after, and you're gonna get something that looks real. I know. I can't agree more. I'm, we we talked about this. Um, on the Terminator episode as well, where before it was like the emergence of computer technology and you basically were like, how are we going to do this practically? We can't, so we use a computer. Right. Now it's running to the computer more. But I, I feel like we're starting to see a swing back uh, to more of a blend. And I, I, I think, you know, what you said, it really, really nailed it for me. I, using computers to enhance practical. Right. Um, do the practical, set up the practical, and then allow the computer to, to, to touch it up later. But still get the practical thing. Because... The human eye can pick up what's real and what's not. We can just see through it, at least the way that they use it now. It, it still isn't there. It's close, but it still is not there. Shoot the real thing, touch it up after, and I'm, you will make it look real. People will feel like they're there. Because they did that again in 2001. That was 50 years ago. It wasn't. It was actually 19 years ago, but the movie was 52 years ago. <laughs> so please follow me. With my and man. Kubrick, uh, Kubrick actually was a time traveling alien because right. I don't know how he, he did that movie. and you know what? That was his only Academy sense. Award was two thousand one, which is a sad, sad truth. Well, that just goes to show you how silly the Academy Awards are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, if that's not your litmus test, then I don't know what is. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, Academy Awards, whatever. Uh, the movies they they stand on their own hind legs. They stand the test of time. Oh, they're the best movies uh, ever. Like in yeah. terms of the. Just the output and the resume, hundred percent number one. That yeah, guy. and same th- and same thing for Mel. Right, um, you could argue which one's better, Mel Brooks or Stanley Cooper, but that's it. That's where the 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 argument ends for me. Yeah, I love it. No, I, I'm 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 with you, brother. Yeah, I mean, it's just this movie just puts me in a, in such a special special place, and it really connects me to my best friends. And my family, my cousin Paul, like I said, my brother, my cousin Mark, who lives in Long Beach with his wife Amanda. And we used to just pull it out, family gatherings. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, yeah, we'd hang out, we'd have coffee and, and, and cake, and then and then we'd go watch baseballs, you know? And mm-hmm. it was just, um, yeah, we literally just couldn't get enough, and I still can't. And like I said, watched it a month ago and was worried that, like, I probably could have not watched it today with you. But uh, why would I want to deprive us of that? <laughs> <laughs> why know? would you take that away? Don't do that. Don't do such a thing. Yeah. So I know it's probably not going to happen, but Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money, which is the best name for a movie ever. <laughs> uh, do you think, do you think it's, too, it's too late? or? Uh... Yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to yeah. happen. I... I it's like it's like uh, when they did History of the World Part Two, Jews in Space. Like it's it's great <laughs> as a trailer. It's a brilliant trailer. Hitler on yeah. ice. Like it's yeah. great as that, and then let it go. But it doesn't exist. And now what about? Um, I, can, I can live with that. Now what about a play on Broadway, a la The Producers, which had a reiteration on Broadway? What about? They're talking about doing a young Frankenstein. Do you think Spaceballs would uh, would work? Spaceballs would absolutely work as a play. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't. Doubt I, I that think. One day. I think as a, a a sequel could still. I mean, how much sci-fi history in the last thirty-three years is there to mine? Right. How many more Star Wars movies have there been since mm-hmm. since eighty-seven? Well, you know, that's remember when you and I wrote the. We were talking about this on the on the preamble when we were talking about our show that we wrote as the uh, that would be the animated show that they made for G four. That was set up as a parody of the prequel movies. That's the storyline that they followed. It didn't, you know, the execution, I don't know if they necessarily accomplished what they were going for. However, that was the goal. I do want to say that uh, Mel says that of all his movies on video. um, Spaceballs has to be number one. It's Spaceballs. He's like, I'll tell you what, it was Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, And he said that's because of the kids. That's because of the younger generations. And they're right. the ones buying VHSs. They're the ones that are voraciously consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were, talk- we were talking about before the um, in the preamble. I like that the preamble. Ooh. Yeah, we do. <laughs> is, this, is this the postamble? <laughs> is this is the postamble right now. <laughs> right. The, the amble is the movie. That's what. We're <laughs> yeah. The, what the we're amble ambling. is when we stop ambling. and watch the movie. <laughs> it's like what Mel- uh, Steven Spielberg always said: "Ambling, ambling entertainment. entertainment." We're ambling right now, <laughs> but the preamble and the postamble is not the same as the ambling. Lord, I was born an ambling man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and all the actors, um, they're saying, yeah, I can't, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me, kids, and they're like, Lone Star, oh my gosh, I need your signature, and he's like, the younger generations that have consumed and that are consuming, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek and and mm-hmm, us basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our generation, and now we're seeing the rise of conventions, and I mean, it's been. Comic Con, the whole Comic Con world. Yeah, when it came when it came out, Spaceballs wasn't necessarily considered a hit right away. Right, it wasn't re- it wasn't really considered a uh, critical success either. That some people thought that it was on the tail end of his 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 you know his giant period, his heyday or whatever mm-hmm, Mel's mm-hmm. heyday. But he's like that movie and the a movie that came after it. Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights are his two biggest VHS or his two biggest video sellers. Um, and now we've moved on to other formats and whatnot. Right. So, yeah, it's just, I think it has a lot to do with the generation that you're dealing with. Um, I know, I know Blazing Saddles was, was a mega hit. Young Frankenstein was a hit. Both came out in the same year, 74. Wow. I mean, to be able to put those two movies. Those two movies, year, maybe the, the, the biggest movies of your life the in the same heck? year is insane. How? I don't know. Freak of nature. I mean, Obviously, had a great team. Surrounds himself with, and both really movies were nominated for Academy Awards that year. Madeline Kahn was nominated for um, uh, Blazing Saddles, and then Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder were nominated for Best Writing for Young Frankenstein. Insane, so cool. insane to make two movies that were nominated for Academy Awards that year is insane. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Wow, and both great, great mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in their own way, and then spoofing. Their own, their own uh, separate worlds. So yeah, I, I'm just so grateful that uh, Mel got to spoof a sci-fi adventure. A he clearly movie. loves that stuff. He clearly yeah. does. Just based on how much care he took with it, and the fact that he contacted George Lucas to let him know that this was happening, like he paid a lot of attention to it. The beaming yeah. scene, the beaming oh, scene is just a clear. It's the it's the way to make fun of Star Trek. Why didn't anyone tell me my ass was so big? <laughs> and then he scratches himself. It's perfect. Oh, the scratching uh, himself is so funny. It's so loud. <laughs> no more beaming. I'll walk. I'll walk. 
And then and then there's a scene later where he like runs he like runs onto the bridge, and he's like, oh, if I walk, the movie be over. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, the the constant reflexive moments and just I'm getting belly laugh after belly laugh. It's like you think I never saw this movie before, <laughs> you know? You think I haven't seen it a hundred times? It just right. it just yeah, and and stuff just jumps out and grabs you. And you know, the more I watch it, the more I realize I really love Bill Pullman as Lone Star. I really love Princess Vespa. I want them to work mm-hmm. out. I want it to work. I want it to happen. No, their, you know, their love is real. Like it's real, and yeah. that's that's the the beauty of it. Like, and that's the one thing that Mel does over other other people who do his style of spoofs. Versus, I would say Naked Gun does the same thing. They never cheapen the motivations of the characters ever. They right. never let them go aside. And and Mel does that the best. And right. we still care about the characters, even though we know for 100% they're making fun of the stuff that we've seen before. Never lets that yeah. go aside. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. Yeah, but again, you could strip, like you said, you could strip those components away and the engine of the narrative would still operate perfectly. Right, right. it still and, makes and sense. compelling. It still yeah. makes sense. The jokes are there to just dress it up a little bit more. Exactly. So even if you didn't get the joke or, um, or whatever, I think... Or you didn't get the reference, I should say. Mm-hmm. I think you'd still find the movie a fun adventure piece. Right. And uh, I just, I love everyone in this movie. Um, oh, Transformers is another one that re- that was referenced. Um, you said Planet of the Apes, yeah? Planet of the Apes, yes. Oh, that's right, because Mega Maid. Yeah, because Mega Maid Transformer. a Transformer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's gone from suck to blow. <laughs> 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 they probably couldn't get away with some of these jokes nowadays, um, but uh, I'm glad that they, they did what they did. Yeah, so in regarding its influence and its place in cinematic history and, and film history, do you think there's um, – where do you see spoofs these days? I, they're not nearly as strong. I don't uh, really see don't. them anymore. They stopped, they yeah. stopped being a thing. Really, Mel Brooks was the originator, and um, Jim Abrams and the Zucker brothers really took that baton and made their own things, made fun of the crime yeah. uh, shows and the, the – the, uh, Top Secret is another movie in that that vein. Scary movies another movie in that vein, and they do they the, those guys do really good work. And then I remember when it became date movie and epic movie. Like it really right. became when the franchises and like making fun of the franchises made less sense than the characters that were happening in the movies. Like they really went another direction. But Brooks and then Abrams and Zucker's those are the yeah. guys. Those are the guys. And those- and the Wayans brothers who actually passed the baton over to right, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Don't don't be a uh, don't be a menace. Is such a good movie. I'm gonna get you, sucker. Yeah, a good movie. I'm gonna get you, sucker. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, oh, those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So those, scary those... movie. Uh, scary movie one and two was directed by Keenan Ivory Wayans, right, and then right, right, David right, right, Zucker right. took the baton. Right. So that's exactly, really cool. exactly. But then when it, again, that's that's when it went off the rails. Is when it became epic movie and date movie. I feel like that's when it kind of fell off. Right. But those, yeah, it just doesn't have this nearly the same clout. Brooks. Zucker Brothers, Abrams, Wayans. Those are the those totally. are the four that really do it perfectly. Yeah. Those are the Mount Rushmores, if you will, of of parody movies. Right, 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 right. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely feel like the Orville, which I know you're a fan of. The, oh um, yeah, dude. Seth MacFarlane. Um, if is you want to get comedy. your old style, uh, uh, episodic space movie or space show, watch Orville. Yeah, it's so good. And 
Yeah, it, it started off probably more jokes. Um, in the you know in the pilot, there was a bunch of jokes like you know they're talking to the alien on the view screen, and, and Seth's like, "Oh, could you could you move over a little? You're not you're not framed right in the in the view screen," and like those kind of jokes kind of kind of you know they they did their thing in the beginning, and they were in the trailer for season one, and but it really did evolve into more Star Trek than parody uh, of Star Trek. It, it's again, it, it has serious intense moments. I mean, season two had some like just. Oh, it's jaw dropping! Like it became really dramatic drama. That show, and I loved it. Some people didn't yeah. like it because they, they thought they were still tuning into a comedy show, and you still were tuning in for some jokes. But they, that show would still tell good stories, good compelling stories. Yeah, yeah, definitely Star Trek with a few more jokes, but right. Uh, the attention to the set design, the, the attention to the aliens, the cultures, um, the attention to the makeup uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's brilliant um i i really just i'm so excited that this show's continuing on and it's gotten to get more than one season and well, hopefully um, we get some new ones in the fall buddy i know i know they filmed uh, i actually have a a friend Haley wells she got to do some some paing on it Ooh, Haley, uh, very good good work Haley. Yeah, that's amazing yeah i know it's so cool i was getting to hear stories from set and uh we have another friend uh patty who he's gotten to be multiple aliens on that show, and uh, so I've gotten I've gotten to hear some stories. And apparently they filmed like half of season three, but um, as you know, we've all been the industry has definitely taken a blow from from this oh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, ho- hopefully so. we all get back to work, and they get back to work, and something amazing continues to happen for that show. And yeah, for everybody, for everyone's health. I know, I know. I know, really, honestly, I can't tell you how good today felt. I know you said the same while we were watching. You're like, this is the most fun I've had all week. It really like is. Watching I, a yeah. movie on Skype with your friend. Ah, oh, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, geez. What's, I mean, it's just, we could talk about so many elements of this movie that are just unbelievable. I know. Oh. Oh, my oh, dog oh. is coming in. Fritzy's coming in. Oh, Fritzy, the cutest dog ever. I love you. Um, Rachel's, Rachel's getting on her bike right now, so she's going to go work out. Oh, nice. Yeah. Got to get the workout in. Got to get the workout in. So Fritzy's yeah. in here with me. Fritzy's cool. here. Uh, I'm going to have Fritzy on uh, episode five. <laughs> when we watch All Dogs Go to Heaven or Airbus. You know, <laughs> seventh inning fetch. <laughs> <laughs> Air buddies. Yeah. Air buddies in space. Um. Okay. Tim Russ's appearance in this movie, and actually, I got I got to say, you let me know that Tim Russ, who plays Tuvok on Voyager, Star Trek right. Voyager, he is obviously, I mean, just from that alone, he's one of my favorite people because I love Star Trek, and I know you love Star Trek. And I remember we were doing uh, again, we were doing the Star Trek podcast, Jew and the Gentile, years mm-hmm. ago, and Tim Russ came up, and you're like, oh yeah, Tim Russ is uh, he's in Spaceballs, he's the he's the Afro pick, we ain't found shit guy. And I've always wanted Tim Russ to show up on the internet in full Tuvok makeup and say that line. I've always wanted to hear him like wear the ears, wear the uniform, and say, man, we ain't found shit. I've always wanted that. I'm hoping that that happens at some point in my life. Tim Russ, do the line. Do, do Tuvok as uh, Afro pick guy. Please. Uh, That's all I mean, I how many, how many legendary sci-fi franchises can you you have a hand in you know right right <laughs> so, exactly so cool so good oh my goodness do you, do you think we're being a little too literal <laughs> <laughs> oh man and the, uh, the safari outfit the safari, safari helmet the safari oh helmet. my god <laughs> and it still makes his voice all deep when he when he closes <laughs> it you 
<laughs> would I lie? Would I lie? And then, uh, again, with facial expressions, Dick Van Patten just killing it. as like, clearly that's yeah. not him. So Yeah, and, and again, Mel, Mel bringing in people that aren't, I mean, sure, John Candy, Rick Moranis, already established comedic geniuses. Right. But bringing in people that aren't and that he just well, saw Pat, something he, in remember, He was eight is enough. Like, he was on an old style sitcom back in the day. And then he, uh, Dick Van Patten was also, um, he was in Mel Brooks's High Anxiety in 1977. So he's oh, been cool. a member of that family for a long time. Yeah, yeah that's good. So, I'm glad you brought up High Anxiety. I love that one. That I one's love really fun. Dude, uh, uh, what this is to science fiction films, that is to uh, a Hitchcock movies. I love High Anxiety. I love that movie. Yeah. So you get to see the VHS in the uh, in the famous right. Yeah, exactly. They VHS go down. Scene. They go down the list of all the movies. Mister uh, Mister Video. Yeah. Yeah, and for the first time ever, again, watching in 180 inches, you catch you catch little details. But there was like a bunch of the Rocky movies, a bunch of the Friday yeah, 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 Thirteenth movies. Friday the 13th. Any any movie that worked in the style of a franchise was listed. Yeah, yeah. So you had all Mel Mel's movies on the top row, right of the of the bookshelf, and then. Oh my goodness! So I guess they had to do that scene after the movie was put together. I'm guessing. Maybe, um, maybe it's like a pickup. Yeah, because there's definitely shots of them watching it mm-hmm. and rewinding it, and it's it's wide where you see all the actors in front of it. So they couldn't fake that, I don't think. Right. But uh, a few other things I picked up from the making of apparently at the time the blue screen on the bridge was the biggest blue screen ever. Um, <laughs> I love that they would have to innovate something for this movie. That that's my favorite yeah. thing to learn today. Right. Again, it, you strip away all the comedic farcical elements. They're doing the genre like justice. The, the biggest blue screen ever. The sets, two hundred and sixty-seven effects shots in this movie. Two hundred and sixty-seven effect shots. That's a lot. So you know this movie is not is not holding back on the gas pedal. Right. And it's just, it brings it, man. Oh, real quick. Uh, another thing that I picked up in this making of was that I didn't realize that the Pizza the Hut suit was an actual, like, pizza suit. That this poor actor had to get in, and they had, like, a hot, they had, like, a hot, it, it was a, a coil that heated up. Right. That would keep pizza toppings and cheese and everything, which bubbling. they would put on it, and then it would keep it bubbling. Which again, yeah. like you making a science fiction, they would have they'd have to develop that from scratch to make for this movie. Which I love that they did that. They still managed to employ new technology for this movie. Yeah, how science fiction poor, is that? It is. It's so sci-fi. Right. Uh, and this poor actor apparently there was there was a famous moment where Mel's like, "Okay, that was great. Let's do another take." And the actor's like, oh, like he's like actually <laughs> screaming for his life. Poor guy, like this cable is heating up, this coil is heating up this pizza suit that's like actually made of pizza that's bubbling. And that part is so funny and so nasty. It's so gross and fun at the same time. Right. And, and I honestly think that what gives you and I the biggest laugh when we watch this movie is his cough. <laughs> where they're, they're, yeah, he has the video they have the video conference Lone Star and Barf have the video conference they have the with, Zoom uh, call they have their... yeah they have the Zoom call <laughs> and he's like you're delicious and it's like Vinny eating him 
It's and so then good. Pizza the Hut calls and he's like, <laughs> 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 and it's so good. I've I've emulated that cough so many times. I can't tell you how many times I've done that cough. It's excellent. That raspy, gross cough. Yeah, hilarious. All right, man. Well, this was a fantastic hang with you. A fantastic episode. Thank you so much for your time, dude. Thank you um, for letting me on the show. This is so, I love the premise. I love it. I, and I love how we were able to make it work remotely. This is a cool experiment. I hope the editing process goes well. I hope I'm able to send you clear and good sound and quality audio. And then I can't wait to hear it when it's all done and keep this part in too, because I want people to know how much work you're going through to, to put it all together. Oh, thank you so much. It's really, it's really not that, that bad. And it's a labor of love. And I do have to say, Thank you. But secondly, um, it's given me something to do <laughs> in this. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I, you know, my main, my main gig is uh, in the service industry. So it's been over three weeks since I've worked. Um, still waiting for that Uncle Sam check. But, uh, right. but yeah, again, uh, it's, really, it's really been just nice to have something that I can work on and do and, and pour myself into. And it's really made the difference um, Good. of me not going absolutely mad well madder i should say <laughs> um uh so yeah and really honestly it's so cool to do a show with you again brother uh you and i have been doing work together now for for <laughs> 20 years so uh, i love almost. you man this has been fun love you too brother yeah this is so cool and uh yeah space balls baby Don't